here and we very quickly start thinking about time. I know one of the things I sort of, I look forward to coming to New Year's having a brand new diary, empty diary that sort of has the potential of, of doing different things. Now, I can't say I'm a great diary person. Um, part of it is because of electronics these days. Everything ends up on my phone, calendar and, and things like that. So, so, But often I'll try and scribble stuff in my diary just so that I, I know what's going on. And, and so, But time is one of these things that is it's a great equaliser um, because all of us have the same amount of time. I don't care how smart you are, you don't have any more, have any more time than I do. I don't care how much more mon- money that you have than me, we have the same time. You can't buy any more, I, I can't give my time away to other people. But the thing is, time is this great equaliser. And time is important. Sometimes we think time is not important, but to realise the value of one year, ask a student who failed a subject. You're in university, you've got to redo that all over again. To realise the value of one month, ask a mother who gave birth to a premature baby. To realise the value of one hour, ask a businessman whose flight was delayed an hour. To realise the value of one minute, ask a man who had had a heart attack in a restaurant. To realise the value of one second, ask a person who barely missed a head-on collision in a car accident. And to realise the value of one millisecond, ask the Olympic swimmer who missed qualifying by 0.0, by 0.1 second. Time, time is important. And, and, and again, probably the biggest thing that I, I find with myself, I can't say this for you, but I know for me, is that when I look back over a year that I've spent, probably one of the things that I always regret is time that I've actually wasted. Time that I've invested in the things that haven't really produced any fruit or time that I haven't actually really invested, I've thrown it away. So I've been in a casino, I've just thrown my money away and I've, I've, been, I've just done things that have gone, that has really shown no value whatsoever. And we, we're caught in a world that actually, I think we are distracted or we are lured into a way of, 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 of spending our time on stuff that doesn't actually have great value. And so today we're starting this five-week series called Redeeming Your Time. And so we saw in that verse I just read that redeeming your time is part of that Ephesians 5 passage. And so I suppose the question is, does God really care how we spend our time? Um, And so just a bit of a background, the book of Ephesians, um, in chapters 1 to 4, Paul is, is basically reminding the Ephesian church, but also reminding us of the status as dearly loved children of God. That's what he's calling us. He's actually giving us our identity. So he's saying, this is who you are. But then he goes, and basically, there's this question implied. What is our response to our adoption as sons and daughters of God? And Paul answers the question in that verse that was read earlier in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. And we see that phrase. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And so Paul is saying in part that our response to the gospel to redeem our time, to manage our time as carefully and wisely as possible. Um, the Greek word, um, exgozora, um, which translates, means redeeming here, literally means to buy up or to ransom. 
And if you've ever said, I wish I could buy more time, well, that is the idea in this passage, to actually, to ransom, to buy up more time. And we are called as Christians to, to actually make the most of the time that we have. Now, the question is why? It's not so that we have more time to spend on selfish pursuits. We are called to redeem our time because the days are evil and we are running out of time to do the will of the Lord. So how do we redeem our time then? Well, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at a number of different things and, and even looking at, at the author of time, which is Jesus, and how he um, managed his time when he came to earth as Jesus. As, as you read the Gospels, you can't help but realize that Jesus was the most productive person who ever lived. We're going to look at his life and how he managed uh, his time uh, very counterculturally at times and see how we can apply those same principles to our lives in our day and age. How does it apply to us in our over 60s, to our family life? How do we apply time when we're a teenager? How do we apply time when I, I've actually got the freedom to do what I want? Mum and dad aren't there to tell me what to do. I've got, I've, time is all mine, but... Again, that means you're responsible for your time. I want to start by looking at a well-known passage from Luke to illustrate how Jesus is the ultimate solution to our time management problems. In Luke 8, 22 and 23. And one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples were out in the lake enjoying a quiet sail with Jesus and suddenly things spiralled out of control. You can imagine the boat taking on water from every side. And the the thing is, like, who's ever actually been, like, in a a dinghy or a speedboat? Like, and and if it's in rough weather, like, the spray that comes up off the water, or or say you're going back into the... um, the, the, the waves coming back home from a day of fishing or, or a day of being out in the water, the spray is enough to make you soaking wet. Now, if you're in a storm, what happens, it's not the spray that's so concerning, it's the water that's flooding into the boat that becomes the problem. Um, and, and the thing is, because then you're worried about not only sort of being at a point where, okay, I'm going to get my shoes wet, it's more I'm going to get my whole personage wet because I'm going to be under the water. And that was the situation for the disciples. Um, and recognising that they couldn't calm the chaos on their own, the disciples actually went and woke Jesus up and begged him to help. And verse 24 shares what happened. Jesus says he got up and rebuked the wind, raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. And there's a, there's, a, there's a real important principle for us to take into our time management here because has anyone ever felt that the last year was chaotic at any time? Okay, chaotic, um, like, and, and the thing is, all of a sudden we feel like we don't have enough time to do the things that we feel we have to do, we need to do, that's been forced upon us to do. It gets a bit crazy. The principle here in this passage is that Jesus offers you peace before you do anything. Jesus offers you peace before you do anything. I, I'm as guilty as this as the next person because at times I seek peace by getting things done. 
and my list gets bigger and I try and get my list down and then it gets bigger and, I get, and, it, and it just keeps going like this and all of a sudden I, I, I redo my list altogether because I'll just make a small list so I can achieve that because my sense of peace is wrapped up on what I can accomplish and, and completing the task and all of a sudden I, I can't be at peace because the job's not done. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace before you do anything. Peace is not dependent on what you do and you haven't done. Peace comes from me. And so the principle here is that the disciples needed to go to Jesus to find peace in the midst of their chaos. And it's going to happen in spite of, of what we are doing. Um, basically, looking at the disciples, they didn't do anything at all to calm the chaos. They merely trusted Jesus to still the storm. They actually sought Jesus out for help. Jesus, can you do something about this situation? Now, some of us go, oh, does that mean Jesus is going to calm our chaos? Yes and no. Okay, I'm saying that because sometimes the chaos comes from within us. Jesus may calm that chaos. Now, will he make work less busy? Mm, he may not do. Will he, will he make your children grow up all of a sudden and go, they can do everything for themselves? Will, will, will your diary empty of all its appointments? Well, all the extra things that you have to do, like we, rocking in the summer, mowing your lawn twice a week is almost a necessity. Uh, and, and so we kind of, we long for winter, not only for the cool, but so we can put the mowers away for a period of time. And, and the thing is, we get to this point where we're feeling like we've got, Jesus will bring peace to our inner, but he may not change the outer. Um, but we can ask Jesus to come into those situations and have peace with God. Um, now, Time management tactics will never be your most foundational source of peace. If you think, if I'm good, and some of us, some of us are born like this. We have, we're going to plan everything to the nth degree. Every minute is accounted for. If you are a second late, I'm actually going to become unpeaceful with you. Like that's, some of us are like that. So, and so I don't want to rock your world here at all, but time management process is not a source of peace. It's, it's not. Jesus is a source of peace. Um, and, and our ultimate solution to being swamped is found in God, God, Jesus who was sleeping through a storm. Um, Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians that Jesus himself is our peace. So now we establish our place in God's family is secure and we, we still want to be better stewards of our time. Like we want to be at peace, but we want to be wise and effective with our time. So what does the scripture say about time and our role in it? So I want to touch on five uh, answers to that question today. So the first truth, our longing for timelessness is good and God-given. We, just don't, we, we don't just want to long to live forever, we also long to be productive forever. Now, we don't feel like this um, every day, like sin has made work and our efforts to be productive difficult. Like, there are some days we, like, and maybe, maybe at the start of the year you're feeling a bit more motivated, going, I'm going to go and make a difference at work, I'm going to do this, I'm, gonna, I'm really uh, motivated, and, and, and February comes along, you go, oh, this is going to be a long year. This is going to be too long. Or maybe you, you want to invest time into your kids and your grandkids or invest time into to other things that will see great benefit. You want to invest into to ministries around the church and you want to see fruit grow. And, and the thing is, you, you invest like five years into a ministry and you've got, you're going, what's happening? There's nothing happening here. And so sometimes sin grabs a hold of us and we go, do you know what? 
I can't be bothered doing anything. But within us, we've actually got this, this, this desire to be, to, for timelessness, to live forever, to, to be productive forever. And it, we actually see this in, in, as part of how God created us in Genesis 2, um, 15. The Lord God took man and put him on the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Um, and the Hebrew word here is um, avadah, which is translated to mean worship uh, in our Bible. So basically, to work, in a way, is to worship God, to be obedient to our call upon Him. And so God gives us a calling in our lives to, to go out and do different things. He calls us at different times to be faithful to our, to our employment, to, to be... To be uh, um, Paul talks about being, as a slave, being honouring your masters, which sort of translates into our employment today. Like We need to, to give our, our best to our bosses and things like that. Um, and show, and, and in that, we, we are worshipping God. Um, and the thing is, we, we get to the point that God has designed our DNA to actually, to, to want that more. We want to see things go on and see things be productive, to see things grow. Um, and we see it in Ecclesiastes 3.11, which makes it crystal clear that God has set eternity in the human heart. To be human is to work with time that our minds tell us is finite, but in our souls assure us that it shouldn't be finite. Because the thing is, really what we want to do, we want to feel like we're doing something that actually makes a difference more than just in the momentary, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that exact moment. We want to be able to do things that actually make a big impact overall. Um, and sometimes, yes, yeah, some of the jobs we do, all of a sudden, we can't see that. We can't see how our time is being beneficial. So why is time finite? And this, this actually leads us to the next truth. Truth number two. Sin has ensured that we will all die with unfinished symphonies. There was a movie a number of years ago called Mr. Holland's Opus. I remember seeing it and um, basically, just a quick rundown, um, he's a, a musician um, and he's writing a symphony and... He basically needs work, so he gets a job as a music teacher, meant to be just to fill in a, a pocket of his life before he goes on to write his masterpiece and, and pursues music with his life. And the movie sort of, sort of follows his life as he gets married and he has kids and, and faces different challenges, and all of a sudden the years melt away. And it gets to the point of the, towards the end of the movie where he has... Um, help numerous students sort of find their passion for music and face various challenges and, 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 and it gets to the end of his life where the music department is being cut from the school that he's in. And so all of a sudden he's spent his whole life as a teacher, hasn't had an opportunity to, to pursue his work of, of the symphony and, and he's had this unfinished symphony. And right at the end of the movie though, what happens all the students who have loved him over many, many years have had to gather together and um, re-sort of form this massive orchestra and have written his, um, or finished his symphony. And basically they say, we are, we are your symphony. And a great, great feel-good movie and a great sort of ending in the sense that he gets to play his symphony that, and, and as you look out at these people who he's invested in. The thing is, we want to feel like that. We want to feel like all the efforts that I've done have actually created this. And you know what? I've known some great people who have invested their life into something for, for maybe 20 plus years and all of a sudden something happens and they have to walk away from that. I've seen people have to walk away from churches that they have loved or churches that have hit a point and they've just fallen apart. I've seen, I've seen sort of people that have 
created businesses and all of a sudden they've created this legacy and all of a sudden it disappears or doesn't quite get to where it wants to get to. And we are all left with these unfinished symphonies. And it frustrates us. I don't know, like maybe as you get older it frustrates you more going, I, I thought I would be in a different place right now in my life. I, I thought that this would be something different to what I was doing. Part of this is, is, is because of sin. We see this in, in Genesis three seventeen to 19. Cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil you will eat food from it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you, you are, and to dust you will return. Now, not a really encouraging verse, but let's actually add to that 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Because all of a sudden Jesus goes, well, wait a second. Because, because of sin, we are, we are at a point where it feels like nothing, what, nothing that you do really, really matters. In the end, you're going to die, you're going to become dust. Uh, and I suppose some people look at life that way, going, oh, nothing I do matters. So why bother doing anything at all? Well, I might as well just live for myself. I might as well sort of invest in myself because nothing I'm really going to do is going to change my life, going to change the world around us. We see this glimmer of hope that even though death came through one man, the resurrection also came through a man. And so human beings were created to be forever with God. And all of a sudden we became mortal. Work which was created to be good became difficult. God actually created work even before there was sin. Adam and Eve were meant to work. It was part of God's plan for them. And But when sin came into the world, all of a sudden work became difficult. Anyone sort of had days where work is difficult? Time, which was created to be infinite, all of a sudden became finite. In short, sin has ensured that nobody will ever finish the work that they envisioned completing in their lifetime. Like I, I had dreams when I was when I was a younger person. Oh, I want to do this with my this with my life. And I look I look now, going, I don't have time to do all that. I don't have time to be able to do all those things. And so all of a sudden, you've got to make choices. Go, I can do that, or I can do this. I can't have ten careers in my lifetime. It's not going to happen. Oh, I can. That is why we very good careers. That's all. And the truth is, we will all die with unfinished symphonies. I know we don't want to hear that. Our to-do list will never be completed. There will always be a gap between what we can imagine accomplishing in this life and what we actually get done. But thank goodness sin didn't get the final say and we're going to move on to truth three. Truth three is God will finish the work we leave unfinished. I don't know about you, but this actually takes a lot of pressure off us. It actually frees us up to actually get back to that peace, being at peace with God. Because all of a sudden, because God has created us to live forever, but sin has broken creation, made us mortal, time-bound and finite. But our hope is found in Jesus. Because when he walked out of that tomb that first Easter morning with a redeemed body that could not be destroyed, the resurrection was Jesus' way of declaring our longing for immortality has been right all along. And that through him, we too can experience eternal life. Easter wasn't just the beginning of eternal life. Easter marked the inauguration of God's eternal kingdom. 
And so how does time, how does this tie into time management and redeeming our time? Well, simplify the Christian story. God created us to live and to work with him in a perfect garden. Sin messed that up, but God promised to send a king to set everything right. And when his defeat uh, of death on uh, uh, Easter, Jesus proved emphatically that he is the promised king and that everything from that moment to the end of Revelation is about building God's kingdom until Jesus returns to finish what he inaugurated at the, at, the, at the resurrection and to make all things new. So what does that mean for us in the present? Well, we can look to 1 Corinthians for some clues to this from Paul. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labor, that your labor is in the Lord is not in vain. That, that's encouraging. Like we've, we've just been talking about sometimes we feel the things that we do are a waste of time. Well, when we actually do our work of the Lord, it is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Did, did you catch that? We are, we are God's co-workers in, in Genesis. God created a lot in six days, but what is equally remarkable is that is what he did not create. The first few days of creation, God was setting up a canvas. The sixth day, when he, he passed the baton of creation to us, his image bearers, he called us to fill the canvas, literally to fill the earth with things that point to his glory. The same thing happened on Easter morning. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom with his resurrection, but he left the work of building for the kingdom to us. Jesus is not still physically with us. He sent his spirit, but he has made it clear that we are all meant to go into the world and make disciples. I said all because it's not just my job. It's not just the leader's job. It's everyone who is part of the church. Everyone who is part of God's kingdom. It's their job to go and, and actually see um, God's kingdom grow. But because God alone will finish that work and ultimately bring heaven to earth, we can embrace this freeing truth today. God does not need you or me to finish our to-do list with God. If the things in our to-do list are on God's to-do list, then he will complete them with or without us. If you feel like you are indispensable to, to God's work, not sort of playing that down at all, but I'm saying the only indispensable one when it comes to God's work is God himself. God can use each one of us. God wants to use each one of us. Hey, but if we run out of puff, if we run out of steam, if we end up going to be with Jesus in the present, we don't have to stand there in heaven and say, God, but my work wasn't finished yet. God will sort of correct us very quickly. So, well, it wasn't your work to begin with. It was my work and I'm still working. I'm going to use the next guy. I'm going to use the next girl. They're going to be the ones that continue my work. Ultimately, there's no such thing as an unfinished symphony if God desires for that symphony to be a part of his eternal world. Whatever work God wants finished, he will finish. Which, And this, this is the thing. Even when we look at the Bible, there are a number of things that God started with one person and he finished hundreds of years later over here. 
hundreds of years. There's no one in this room that actually even fits into that category. God started something here and he wrote it through different lives of people and then we see God's victory over here. And we miss that at times because we want God's victory to be very present in our lives. We want to pray today and God to be victorious tomorrow, which means I'm at peace because my to-do list is done. But that's not what God says. God says, I'm, I'm working. I'm actually working throughout time. So if you run out, don't worry. I'm still working with the next guy. And this leads to another liberating and hopeful truth. You and I have all the time that we need. And this is why truth number four is so powerful. The gospel is our source of rest and ambition. As we've seen, God does not need us to be productive. But if we are honest, we often need ourselves to be productive in order to feel a sense of self-worth. Anyone sort of own that at all? Like, I know, like, I can, if I've got a, a 20 things on my list, if I go home and 17 are ticked off, I feel like I've had a good day. However, if I have a day where someone gives me a call and they just need to talk for a couple of hours because they're having a bad day or having a bad moment in life and I, I get to the point where a whole lot of stuff on my to-do list is not done, I get that little bit of frustrated going, oh, I'm going to have to do that tomorrow now. I'm behind. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all those things because that sense of being productive is wrapped up in what I did. But all of a sudden, God has actually brought something into my life that was different. And it is, it is a difficult prayer to accept the answer for. I've prayed this prayer a number of times. I don't always like accepting the answer. But when I pray, God, um, you know my plans today. If you want to change them, Lord, you change them. And then God changes them. I say, but God, I didn't want that one changed. I, I meant my morning tea time. You could shorten it by 10 minutes. Like, like, that's what I want to change, God. I didn't want that bit changed. I didn't want this to be added to my day. I didn't want to be doing this. But we, we've got to let God sort of change those things as it happens. Um, because we did nothing to earn God's grace, there is nothing we can do to lose it. No matter... How productive you are in this life, your status as an adopted child of God will never change. You, you are always going to be there. And ironically, this is, it is the truth that leads us to be wildly productive. Why? Because working to earn someone's favour is exhausting. Working to impress people, it wears you out. You, you actually wear yourself out even when you're not doing it. You're thinking about it. It takes up headspace. It takes up emotional energy. And all of a sudden, you are worn out sometimes even before you start a task. But working in response to unconditional favour is intoxicating. So what is God's agenda? How can we work for the kingdom and redeem our time? Well, let's look again at Scripture. Ephesians 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work, walk in them. Matthew 5.16 says, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The phrase good works has often been misinterpreted, or I suppose not misinterpreted, but focused on the areas where we are doing good for others, the acts of charity. But when you look at the Greek, um, and the word is ergon, so I'm not sure if we should say ergon is working or not, but it's translated to mean work, task, and employment. So 
good work means actually at times working in our, I suppose going back to the Hebrew sense, in the sense of worship, doing the things that we need to do. So remember work was part of God's perfect world prior to the fall and Jesus, re- Jesus reaffirmed that the goodness of what many would deem secular work by spending roughly 80% of his adult life working as a carpenter. Jesus spent three years in ministry. Up till 30, he, and he would have started young. He wouldn't have got till 18 where he and then sort of went off and had his university years and then came back and sort of said, oh, Dad, I'm going to look for a part-time job and then, oh, if you're going to live here, you need to get a job. Okay, I'll do some carpentry work. He would have been doing it for 20 years. And, and that's what he did. And as long as your work is not contrary to God's word, it can be considered good work. And this is, this is the thing, like, this is a, on a totally different topic, so I'll, I'll try and be, be brief. But the thing is, what we need to realize is that times as a church, and I, I've seen this through my experience of church over the years, that sometimes we think oh, everything must be church. We come into church, we go along to church events, and, and, and we, we, we do everything we can to be at those things. And now, it's not that I haven't enjoyed those, it's not that there's been a blessing in that, but I think what we fail to see at times is the value of, of where God has placed us for our work. Because all of a sudden, God has given you a mission field that is exclusive to anyone else in your church. I am not going to come into your workplace and, and, and sort of start preaching from any platform. Okay, I'm not going to come into your hospitals and go, and okay, while you're operating, I'm just going to share the gospel with everyone in here. Um, I'm not going to come into your schools. I'm, I'm not going to sort of come into the other places that you are working. I'm, I'm not going to rock up at Ben's work site and go, okay, guys, while you're hammering nails, let me tell you about another carpenter who was really important. I'm not going to be doing that. But you know what? Each one of you have that unique opportunity in your workplace and God wants to leverage that for his glory. So don't ever see the place that you're working as a waste because God can use it in some way. So as we go about our lives and work advancing God's kingdom, where can we look for practical wisdom on how to redeem our time? And that question leads us to truth number five. We can know how God would manage his time. When the author of flesh became, when the author of time became flesh, we see that in John 1, he became fully human, meaning that he had to experience the same day-to-day challenges other mortals faced. He had a business to run, a mother and father to care for, hunger to manage and need for sleep. We, we all have those things in our lives. Sometimes we, we have too much food, not enough sleep. Like, we, 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 get, we get some things a bit mixed up at times, but, but the thing is, we, we have those same needs in our life. And he, Jesus faced the same 24-hour time constraint as every other human being. Jesus did not have some kind of watch where he wound it forward and he got an extra four hours. Wouldn't that be great, though? Instead of a snooze alarm, a watch that actually turned back time four hours. That'd be brilliant. We'd still, we wouldn't be at church yet. Because I'd still be a bit. Like, that's where we'd be. Like, um, but the thing is, Jesus didn't have that. He, he was in the same condition. As a human being, Jesus was challenged to steward his limited time on earth, much like we are today. Because Jesus, Jesus' time was defined. 
It wasn't like he was when he was with God the Father. He existed before time and he was going to exist after time. While he was alive on this earth, he was stuck with limited time. And we see this illustrated throughout the Gospels. John 9, 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Nine is coming when no one can work. We also then see in John 17, 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus understood he had tasks which he needed to do. So how could a first century Jerusalem compare to what we deal with today? Jesus didn't have email or smartphone. Um, He didn't have the distractions that we have now. Surely it was easier to manage his time, right? But we see it time and time again. Jesus was constantly interrupted. He was constantly having to make choices about his priorities and to say no to people. We, we actually see Jesus do that. There were certain people he would go and see and other people he'd say, well, they're healed already, just go and check it out yourself. There was times that he was walking to, to, to raise someone who had, had died and, and someone else touched him, he was stopped along the way. He would actually take longer ways to get to places so that he would have that moment that God had brought his way. In Hebrews 4.15, it reminds us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weakness. In the person of Jesus, the word became flesh, ensuring that he could emphasize with all of our weaknesses, including our efforts to redeem our time. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring how Jesus actually used his time. Which means there's going to be, we're going to look at how Jesus actually said no to people as a way of redeeming his time. Anyone ever felt guilty in saying yes more often? Like, there's only a couple of us. Like, okay, with a bit more guilt can be applied to the rest of you. Um, But no, but sometimes we just feel like we can't say no. And we just go, yeah, I suppose I can get it done and um, I'll just put that on top of this one and I'll fit that in here. And yeah, and and, and the thing is, all of a sudden we, we end up doing it and we rob ourselves of something else. Do you know that rest... Productive rest will actually make you more effective with your time. The thing is, we're too busy saying yes to people that we can't get productive rest. Next week, we're going to be looking at how we need to um, dissent from the kingdom noise. There is a lot of things sort of raging around us, telling us what we should be doing, a lot of demands on our time. And Jesus actually had a way of actually moving away from that. So throughout the next series, we're going to walk through seven principles um, the gospel shows of how Jesus redeemed his time. And today I'm going to leave you with the first, and I believe the most imperative step to redeeming our time. Start with the word. Start with the word. To redeem our time in the model of our redeemer, we must first know the author of time. His purpose is for the world and what he has called us to do with the time he has given us. If you are trying to guess what Jesus wants you to do, you might get it right. You'll likely get it wrong. And then you'll end up being frustrated. You'll end up saying yes. You'll end up being tired. You'll end up feeling worn out. You'll end up going, this chaos is happening around me again. But if we start with a place where we get to know the person who has written time, has created it for us, who knows how best to use it, has, knows the plan he has for us, all of a sudden we can rest in peace with the presence of Jesus in our life.
Jesus frequently broke away from the crowds and his disciples to spend time alone with his Father. And for us, this can look like reading Scripture regularly. You know, one of the things I've done this year, I've actually taken the pressure off myself of reading my Bible every day. Now, in doing so, I'm finding I'm reading my Bible more. I, I, I was doing it because it was a time or, or, or sort of um, sort of a thing. It was sort of locked in. I've got to do my quiet time. I've got to get that done before I can do other things. It was a pressure I put on myself. And by taking that pressure off myself, I've actually able to spend more time with Jesus. And that is actually then, it becomes something I'm wanting to do and, and, and fitting into my life. So reading your scripture regularly though, meditating on what you read, thinking about it, highlighting it, going back over it, writing notes about it, talking to others about what you read. Hey, I read this in the Bible this week. Hey, what do you think it means? This is what I think it means for me. Actually, sort of, sort of plowing that into your brain, taking time to pray throughout your day, taking time to actually pray about the things that God is wanting you to do. Maybe even praying this, God, what have I read today? What do you want me to change? Oh, we, we are happy to pray for, to, for God to fix that situation. We're happy to say, God, those people that have been in floods, help them. The people that are going through this, help them. But God doesn't want to just help. He wants to transform the world. And do you know what? You are part of that world. And not being mean, because I'm part of the world as well, but God wants to transform you. You are not where God wants you to be yet. If God, you were where God wants you to be, you would be in a box up here. And we'd be all out there saying, we, he was a good guy, a good girl. That's when you'd know. But up until that point, God is wanting to do continuous work in our life. So we can be praying about that. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to take three hours. Because again, I think sometimes we go, I've got to sit down and pray on my knees. For, and like, you know what? If I was on my knees for 10 minutes these days, I'll be stuck there for three hours. I won't be able to get up again. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to plan to sort of... But I'm going to sort of pray in my car. I, I'm, I'm, one of the devotions I'm using at the moment, Word for the Day, I can listen to it while I'm walking. I can listen to it while I'm in my car. All those times that I can redeem for the purposes of God are suddenly in front of me. And we, when we do this, when we dig into Scripture and we see what God has to say about our time and how we should spend it, all of a sudden it will guide us. Now, don't take my word for it. Check out the source. Check out your Bibles. Check out where God is leading you yourself. And I'm just going to wrap it up there today and we'll be jumping in into these seven principles next week. I hope you can join with us because, again, I know time is something that we all feel pressured by. And the thing is we need to have a godly lens to look through it and to do that we need to have the presence of God in our life. Um, Father, we, we know, as you said in Ephesians, the days are evil. And, and evil means, at times, the things that take us away from you and, and draw us away from that your purposes for us. Um, and time is fleeting. We have only got a limited amount of time. And, and God, again, we, we feel the pressure of that to, to, to do more, to, to fit in more and cram more things into our lives. And in realizing that, it leads to chaos. Give us the fortitude and wisdom to to use our time well so that we may best serve your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that your work is the work that will continue forever and that I am part of that. I don't need to finish your work. You will do that job. 
constantly renew our minds um, and, and with the promise that we have peace first as your child, first as someone who is in relationship with you and everything that we do after that is a response to your love and your grace to us. Lord, help us to learn to use our time wisely, effectively and to the glory of God. We pray this in your name. Amen.